Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hope you're having a great day and a great June as we kick off the month. I want a special shout-out to my good friend, Yoshiko. Yoshiko Dart. Hope you're having a great day. And I want to thank my lead sponsor, Highmark. What a great company. Always been behind me and always employing people with disabilities. Also, thank you to uh, AudioEye and Covestro for their contribution as sponsors. Well, we have a great show today with one of my absolute most favorite people that I have had as a close friend for a very long time. And I have to say it, I can't hold it in, and who I call sister. Really a long time. I've known her. I respect her. Um, Joan Stein, president of Stein Consulting, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, Joan, how did you first become involved in the disability community for our listeners here and around the world? And thank you, Sweden, for how many people are listening to the show. Go ahead, Joan. Well, I've actually worked in the field since 1977 when I uh, graduated from college and I was working as a caseworker for what, for the population of people who we called then mentally retarded, who we now call intellectual, what we refer to as intellectual disabilities. So I was a case manager in um, a town called Belfont, Center County, Pennsylvania. And so that's how I started my career. I worked in a mental health and mental retardation center until 1990, and then I went to work at Three Rivers Center for Independent Living, which unfortunately now is closed, and I was their director of development and public relations. Well, when the ADA was signed into law, I uh, said to the board of directors, you know, this is going to create a huge cottage industry because it's going to create a need in the business community, let's start a company. So we created Accessibility Development Associates Incorporated, ADA Incorporated, as the wholly owned for-profit subsidiary of the nonprofit. And I started as their founding uh, president and CEO, and we uh, moved into a tiny little office 405-square-foot office in downtown Pittsburgh, and that's how I started out with being an accessibility consultant and running an, uh, an ADA consulting company. I wound up closing that company in 2013, and um, as a result of my husband's illness and subsequent passing away, and about two weeks after he passed away in February, in January of 2014. I received an email from a friend who's an attorney who was asking me to come out of retirement because his partner had just been um, given a very large case, uh, ADA case, that one of her clients had been sued 
under ADA. So I've been doing that ever since. So I've been an ADA consultant since 1991, and prior to that I worked, as I said, in clinical and administrative positions. So I, I, could, I could tell you that disability services and, and working with people with disabilities has been a mainstay of my life for the past 40-plus years. Wow. Well, I know that because I know you're uh, a disability civil rights leader. Uh, yeah. So let's, let's talk about your company, Stein Consulting. Uh, tell our listeners, what do you do? What is your main business? Well, Stein Consulting LLC is a, um, I'm an LLC. I basically work by myself. And what I do primarily is I perform facility evaluations and litigation support to companies who have been um, cited for ADA noncompliance, primarily um, those who have been sued in federal court. And so what I do is I, I very often, if not always, get hired by their attorney and I go out and evaluate the facility to determine whether the allegations made in the complaint are valid or not. But more importantly, I work with them to identify and remove barriers and work through to help them remove the barriers so people with disabilities can enter and fully participate. The other main focus of my business is I work in the... Um, golf community, and I have been this next month, or I should say in two weeks, I will be um, launching my 11th year with the United States Golf Association, the USGA, as their national ADA consultant, and I will be working at Aaron Hills Golf Club, which is a, a beautiful, beautiful public golf course in Wisconsin, where the 2017 Men's U.S. Open will be held. And what I do with the USGA at the U.S. Open is I work with them to ensure that what they build is accessible to people with disabilities and seniors. And then during the tournament, I do a variety of things, such as um, we have this year I will have 145 volunteers working on my Disability Services Committee. And we will provide on-course transportation to people with disabilities and seniors. We offer 175, we have 175 motorized scooters that are available to spectators free of charge, first come, first serve. And then we have ADA seating areas in select grandstands where people who use wheelchairs or scooters have a front row unobstructed view to the green. So that's what I will be doing from June 10th to June 20th, uh, working at the U.S. Open in uh, Aaron Hills at the Aaron Hills Golf Club in Wisconsin. That is unbelievable, Joan. I can't believe you've been doing this 11 years. This is my 11th year, and actually, this is also now I, in August. I will be at the PGA Championship in Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Quill Hollow Golf Club, and this is this will be my third year with the um, PGA. And you it's, know, it's really, it's really phenomenal. You've got to give them credit for doing this. 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Nobody else does it. I was just going to say. Else, nobody else does it. No. No. Other, and, other sports venues should follow this. Yes, they should. Yes. Well, I, I've had I've had very good success, and we're very fortunate to have very two very good um, sports teams and owners in our city of Pittsburgh here, and that is the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Pittsburgh Penguins, both of whom I've worked with over the course of the past twenty years to not only make sure that PNC Park and PPG Paints Arena are accessible to people with disabilities, but I also trained the staff at both of those venues. So those two, those two teams and, and management and owners deserve a great deal of credit because they went above and beyond what was, what was required um, for accessibility, both in terms of how you build a venue, but also how your staff treats people. Because that's the critical, that's the critical issue. You know, I've always said to people, you can build the Taj Mahal of accessibility, but if you don't treat people right, you're, you're nowhere. Isn't that the truth? That yeah. is so true. And my hat's off to those two organizations. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. Joan, as a person yes. with a disability and a woman working in this field, what has been your greatest challenges? Well, I, I think the greatest challenge I face as an accessibility consultant is getting people to understand that this isn't just about complying with the federal law. It's about doing the right thing and doing the smart thing. You know, for so many years I've had people say, well, I'm not going to do anything until I have to. And I say to them, you know, that's, that's really, that's like painting a sign on your back that says, kick me. Because the ADA is a complaint-driven law. So if you wait until the complaint gets filed, you'll have no control over the situation. But I think that's been, I think it, it's been the biggest, it's been the biggest challenge. And Joyce, you, you know that too, in terms of getting people to understand that this is, this is smart business. I mean, the, the, the billions of dollars, people with disabilities have $540 billion of discretionary income. So why would you turn that customer base away? And, and the customer base grows every day, both by virtue of accident or illness or by the natural aging process. So, you know, uh, you and I, we're, we're baby boomers. We're not aging gracefully. <clears throat> well, you know what? That's an excellent point. When people think about access, they think about those people with disabilities in wheelchairs, terrible palsy, paraplegia, whatever it is. But they're forgetting that there's this older generation. Absolutely. I am an example. Although, you know, it's getting much better, I have arthritis. And in my one knee, it is you know, really bad. So what I started doing is taking an elevator. So I am one of those examples of what you're talking about. But there are many, many more people that as they age won't be just doing this. They'll be in wheelchairs or walkers or whatever it is. So, yeah, you are so right about that. Um, So, you know, when you tell people this, Joan, 
Do you feel they just dismiss it sometimes yes. or what? Yes, they do. And, 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 <clears throat> and the reality, Joyce, is that disability is the one minority that people are the most afraid of because they can join us at any time. And it's very disconcerting to them because if they see somebody who's using a wheelchair or they see somebody uh, with a visual loss or hearing loss, they think, oh, my God, my life would be over. And the reality is, as you and I both know, life is different. It's not over. It's different. And you do things differently. But it doesn't mean that, you know, if you have a mobility impairment or you're starting to lose your vision or you're losing your hearing, life doesn't, life doesn't stop. It changes. That's but people right. get very nervous about it. And for some people, <clears throat> like, for example, Tony Quello, he always says, my life got better. You know, Absolutely. yeah, I have epilepsy, but my life got better. Absolutely. Um, I, have a, I have a lot of friends with disabilities who, who say that they, are, they enjoy their life more since they had their disability. Right. Well, I can relate to that. Um, Joan, I want to go back to something you said. You know, when you were talking about PNC Park and, mm-hmm. uh, and the penguins uh, and the arena, <clears throat> I just want everyone to know, with PNC Park, which is beautiful, it also was rated as the most accessible, and that's what Joan worked with them on. And it is. It is so accessible, whether you're deaf, in a wheelchair, I don't care what it is. It is fabulous, and you have seating where you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, years ago, um, I had a group of architects who were working on what was going to be the new uh, Bush Stadium baseball park in, in St. Louis. And they came to Pittsburgh because they'd heard so much about PNC Park. And I took a, a group of architects on, on tour, and they said, well, show us where the, where the accessible seating is. I said, it's everywhere. There's accessible seating in every in every location in every price point, and you know it was funny because when we were building and design when we were designing and building PNC Park, the the architects and the staff said, "Oh my God, we can't we there there are places at PNC Park and Joyce, you're very familiar with it. It's called the danger zone because it's 30 feet from first base and 30 feet from third base." And so you can imagine with, with foul balls, that's why they call it the danger zone. Well, we have accessible seats there. And people said, oh, my God, we can't let people with disabilities sit there. I said, oh, yes, you can. You can't prevent that from happening. People with disabilities have a right to risk. And it's the same kind of, you know, that, you mentioned Tony Quello, and it reminds me of one of, his, one of his best, one of his most poignant sayings is he says, give us the chance to fail. Yeah, right. I remember, yes, Joan, I remember mm-hmm. when someone from the Pirates said that to me, that, you know, someone with a disability, you know, what if they get hit in the head with a ball? My answer exactly. was, well, what if someone without a disability gets hit in the Absolutely. head with a ball? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, you can't say, oh, disability, because then you're saying, oh, weak, oh, poor them. Pitiful. Pity. Yeah, we don't want pity. Yeah, you we can, don't you want pity. Yeah, you can't say that. Um, okay, this is one of my favorite questions because I hear about it all the time. And that is, 
what are the requirements for a building to be ADA compliant, and what does, oh, we don't have to because we're grandfathered? Well, I'll give you the quick answer first. There's no such thing as grandfathering in the ADA. No such thing. Unlike, unlike building code, the ADA as a federal civil rights law requires any existing building. It doesn't matter whether that building was built in 1900 or 2017. It requires that barriers be removed. So any building that was built prior to the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act and its implementation in 1992 must perform what's called readily achievable barrier removal. And that means that it must be easily accomplishable without financial or undue hardship. Now, the reality of that is it's an ongoing process. So, and that ongoing process started on January 26, 1992, and it's to be ongoing because what may not have been readily achievable to do in 1992 might be achievable to do in 1995 or 2000 or 2010. So it's an ongoing process, but the reality is people, they, they only look about, they only Think about it in terms of well, when we're meant, when we're when we're altering a building or newly constructing, then we pay attention to it, and that's not that's the wrong answer, because the ADA requires you to look at your existing buildings. Now, to answer your first part, it would take me about an hour, <laughs> because the the requirements are the requirements are are huge. Now, if anybody really wants to know about the specifics of the ADA requirements, I'm going to give them the website to go to, and that is www.ada, as in Americans with Disabilities Act, ada.gov, G-O-V. And there they will find the 2010 ADA standards for accessible design, and it's downloadable. But to give you a sense of it, Basically, what the ADA requires is that your building must be accessible to and usable by people with disabilities. And that doesn't just mean people who use wheelchairs. As you said earlier, it can include people with hearing disabilities, people with visual disabilities, people with cognitive disabilities. And when you look at a building, you start at the outside. So it's whether you're coming from a public transit stop and, and traversing a sidewalk, or you're parking a car, and you, you must have accessible parking spaces and access aisles and curb cuts and level sidewalks and ramps with handrails and then entrances. One of the biggest myths that people have about the ADA is that they believe that the ADA requires a power-assisted door at the, at the entrance. And the ADA does not require automatic doors. And that's one of the concessions that they, that they you know, that they succumbed to when they, were, when, they were, when they were designing the ADA standards and when Congress was, was negotiating it because that exterior doors can often be very, very heavy. I just got... Uh, an email from a friend of, from a friend of ours, Joyce, who lives here in Pittsburgh, that she was going into one of our local banks, and she had so much difficulty opening the front door. And she had a woman, her friend, with her, 
and her friend went up to the bank manager and said, did you realize that that front door is very heavy to open for somebody with a disability? And unfortunately, the manager was very rude to her and said, well, we're not obligated to provide a power door. But the reality is that's good customer service. And you see a lot of places, a lot of places have um, have power doors because they they not only work for people with disabilities, they work for senior citizens who have trouble operating doors or opening heavy doors. And they also work for parents pushing strollers. So, yeah. you know, and then, then once you get inside the building, it depends on the type of building, but whether it's a restaurant or a store or a movie theater or, you know, anything like that, a hotel, it basically means that you must have things that you, your environment must be accessible to and usable by people with disabilities. So that includes lower counters, um, you know, uh, accessible restrooms with the larger toilet stalls and the grab bars on the wall, and it's a whole myriad, whole myriad of things that that are required. But it really does take somebody who knows the ADA very well to be able to assess a building and determine the level of compliance. And then the big the big secret then is what do you do once you've collected the information? Because if you do an ADA assessment on a building and then you just put it on the shelf. It doesn't do you any good, and it doesn't do people with disabilities any good. You know, but it's a com- it's, it's a the complaint point that I really like that you made is about customer service. My answer there right. is, if I can't get in, I'm not going to buy anything. I mean, that exactly. is totally, exactly. absolutely exactly. ludicrous. That's so exactly. foolish. Okay, well, hey, folks, we're going to go to break, then we'll be right back with Joan, the president of Stein Consulting. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Podstars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are talking to Joan Stein, president of Stein Consulting. Uh, What a pleasure to have Joan as a guest. Hey Joan, I know there's a lot of uh, concern going on in the disability rights community, I see this nonstop on social media, and that is the imp- potential impact of the bill proposed by Representative Ted Poe in reference to the ADA and accessibility. Um, why is that? What would be the impact? Well, you know, Joyce, it's unfortunate because the ADA, it's called the ADA Education and Notification Act, and what it, what what it is intended to do is to provide a, a, an interim step before somebody can file a, a lawsuit against a business for noncompliance. And what they want is they want the ability to have the business be notified and then have a period of time to correct it. Now, people in the disability community are saying, how much more than 25 years do you need? Because this has been the, the 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 provisions of the ADA have been in in enforcement since 1992. Now the genesis of this kind of legislative action goes all the way back to probably 15 or 20 years ago with Clint Eastwood, and you know he's a he's a business owner. He aside from being you know a movie star and a director, but he owns businesses in Carmel, California, and he was. He was tired of being, you know, cited for ADA noncompliance. And instead of, you know, making the modifications, he pushed and lobbied very hard to get um, these, this kind of legislation passed. And there have been two prior attempts to do this, and it hasn't happened. But unfortunately, I, this, this time, maybe it's the political climate and the change of administrations or whatever – but it seems to be taking some steam. Um, and, and, and from the flip side of it, there's also been a strong push um, from, well, California has actually passed the state law. Governor Brown signed into law a provision that basically requires anybody who wants to file a complaint to, um, to go through a particular notification, system, a notification process before before they can um, before they can can proceed with filing the complaint. So my 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 sense of it is quite honestly is that um, I don't know that it's going to slow down the proliferation of private complaints. I mean there are on average of three hundred complaints filed in federal courts each month on ADA issues. Ranging wow. all the way from employment to state and local governments to public accommodations. 
So, you know, many of them are filed that start with what's called a, a, a settlement letter where they send a letter to the business owner and say, we've identified barriers in your business. We're going to give you an opportunity to settle and pay the legal fees and we'll let it pass. So, um, and, you know, fix, fix the things that they've identified. But um, I really do think that any, any attempts to weaken the ADA is, to, is, is very problematic because it creates a slippery slope. Oh, I know. And, you know, the part you said at the beginning, how much notification do you need when the ADA was signed in 1990? What I'm exactly. worried about happening there is people knowing, oh, we've got to give this, you know, companies knowing about this six-month uh, period where they have to be notified I can just see this starting a disaster. People know, oh, yeah. hey, I don't have to worry about this because look what's happened now. I mean, I can just see that being a disaster. And by the way, if you want to know more about it, Joan, what is the name of that bill again? It's called the ADA Education and Notification Act. Go to that and go to Ted Poe, but more importantly, go to your congressman and senator and say you're opposed. That is the number one thing you should do. Call and say you are opposed. And let me tell you, that makes a difference. It really does. It makes a difference. You know, Tony always told me, one call, one call can make such a difference. Yes, it can. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. So, Joan, um, you have projects and services. The main services you provide... Are they to only companies or to not-for-profits or people with disabilities? How does that work? Well, I primarily provide my services to businesses, corporations, non-profits, governmental entities, educational institutions. Um, There may be a time when an individual with a disability is looking, and I've had this happen several times in, 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 in years past, where someone is looking to, um, to, set, to file a complaint and they want some investigation done, but that's very rare. Um, I have done work on behalf of plaintiffs. I've done work with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. You know, people ask me, Are, you know, do you work for the defense or for the plaintiff? And I said, it depends. It really doesn't. Well, actually, I shouldn't say I work for both because the facts are the facts. You know, I go in to evaluate a facility with a completely objective eye, and I look at things based on the regulations set forth in the AD, in the 2010 ADA standards. I don't say, well, this is what I would want or this is what should happen. I say I, I don't tell my clients that they have to do something if I can't substantiate it in the regulations. And that's where there have been issues in the past where sometimes advocates um, do things based on their own personal disability, you know, their own individual disability. And they say, you know, I need this counter to be 32 inches off the ground. Well, you can do that in your own home, 
But if you make a counter 32 inches off the ground when it's supposed to be 34 or 36, then it makes it too low for a lot of people. So what the ADA standards are meant for is they're meant for public accommodations where they, they take the middle of the road to make, to make it the most accessible to the most number of people. So I, I do that primarily. I, I do facility evaluations. I also do training. In fact, I'm getting ready. I put a proposal together to do training for some emergency um, management folks up in New York to uh, help them to identify barriers um, in, in facilities. I used to do, I haven't done any in, in a while, but I used to do quite a bit of work in emergency preparedness for people with disabilities. And, um, because, you know, I, I call it emergency preparedness. I don't call it, I don't call it, uh, emergency evacuation because if you wait till it's time to evacuate, it's too late. And very, very often when organizations do their plans to evacuate people out of a building, they really don't think it through for people with disabilities. Yeah. And that's very, that's very problematic. That's very problematic. Yeah. So I do As that. Said, and better to do this ahead of time. Oh, not absolutely. whenever it's too late. Not when. How can we evacuate if we don't know what we're doing? Exactly. And you know what? Exactly. That is important. It's also important for companies to understand that. Absolutely. You know, with with all the things that are happening and have happened with terrorist activity. You need to be prepared. What do I do if something happens, and how do I get my employees safely out of here? Exactly. Or how do I safely shelter them in place? I mean, we've had situations if the disaster is outside and the only safe place for your employees or your occupants is to stay in the building and you don't know how long that's going to be, you need to make sure, and, and this is where a lot of this, com- it, it, so much of what happens with ADA comes down to educating people and educating people for the need for it. You know, I, I've worked with, with companies and employers for a very long time, helping them to develop a program for their employees to teach them what they, as a person with a disability, need to take responsibility for, too. You know, if, if, if something happens and you have, say, a natural disaster or, or a terrorist uh, attack that requires people to shelter in place and it's longer than a couple of hours, people need to think about, do I have my medication? You know, do we have a supply of water? Do we have a supply of food? What if people uh, are diabetic? What, you know, so there, there are all kinds of considerations, and the, and the issue is that you've got, to, you've got to raise those issues and put them on the radar screen so that people think about it and prepare themselves for it. It's not, it's not a whole lot different than when I fly, which I do a lot of these days to travel around the country. I make sure that I, that I put all my medications on my carry-on bag. Now, that's planning ahead. Because if I pack them in my, in, my, in my checked bag and something happens to my luggage, I can do okay without clothes or I can go and buy clothes wherever I land, but I can't necessarily replicate all of my medications and I, I wouldn't be, do very well without them for a length of time. And you know what, Joan? I do the exact same thing. 
You know, I'm living with epilepsy. I am not going to go somewhere, as you just said, your luggage is lost. You know, what if there is something that happens where uh, there are no flights out for a while? Exactly. What if something does happen? You always should be prepared, and that's a good tip for anyone listening to the show right now. But right now, we're going to go to break. If you've been listening, we've had Joan Stein, the president of Stein Consulting LLP. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back with Joan. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Since 1985, Bender Consulting Services has served as a national leader in advancing employment of people with disabilities, including veterans with disabilities, with private sector companies, and federal government agencies. Bender assists customers with achieving their diversity and workforce inclusion initiatives by tapping into a talent pool of individuals seeking professional positions, including those in the STEM fields. In addition, Bender services include disability employment consulting, training and technology accessibility through their high-test line of service. For more information, please visit www.benderconsult.com. Hi, I'm Rick Harrison from Pawstars. I'm here to talk to you about the Epilepsy Foundation. I had bad seizures until I was a teenager. I thought I wouldn't have a chance to grow up, but I dared to think differently. My epilepsy taught me to be a fighter. When I said I wanted to make a TV series about my pawn shop, people thought I was nuts. But I dared to defy the odds, and Pawn Stars was born. If you have epilepsy, dare to live your fullest potential. The Epilepsy Foundation will help you dare. Visit epilepsy.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back everyone. Hope you're enjoying the show today. I know I am with the president of Stein Consulting, Joan Stein, a national leader in providing accessibility services and a disability rights leader speaking up for Americans with disabilities. So, speaking of you being that that national civil rights leader, I have a question for you. Okay. Um, I know I know Tony has talked about this with concern. But what do you think we need to do to keep the ADA strong? We need to get on the phone. We need to write letters. We need to. We need to. We need to. To use our voices. You know, the I, I was the I was the one of the ADA consultants for the Democratic National uh, Conference for for the convention, and I worked for the Democratic National Committee. And this was a landmark year. Although our candidate did not prevail, 
the the whole fact that disability was on the agenda was on the was part of the platform was huge, and that happened because people spoke up, and that's what we need to do. As you said earlier about the ADA Education and Notification Act, we need to get on the phone to our legislators, to our senators. We need to write letters. We need to write op-ed letters to the editor, to the newspapers, and we need to use social media. Social media can, you know, our president uses social media. We should use social media and let people know that it is not acceptable to go back in time. You know, if we, if we lose provisions, if the ADA loses it, the strength that it has, we're, we're, we're talking about going back to times when it was okay to kick somebody out of a restaurant because they had a service dog. Or it was okay to sell somebody a ticket to a movie and have them come in and be told that they have to leave because they're blocking the aisle and they're a fire hazard. And worst, worst of all, it will be that people who design and construct and own facilities, who it's difficult enough to get them to pay attention to it now, if they feel that the ADA is going to go away, they'll stop doing it. Because they'll do the whole thing, you know, it all relates back to I'm not going to do anything until I have to. Well, if they think they won't have to, then they won't do it. And that's very, very scary. That's scary for our children. I mean, it's scary when I see what, what, our, what the Secretary of Education proposes and how she feels about children with disabilities and the Individual with Disabilities Education Act. It's very frightening because 50, 60, 70 years ago, parents fought. And, and when they fought 60 years ago, they didn't have much to, to be able to hold on to. Back then, if you had a child with a disability, you were told, to, the doctor told you to put that child in an institution and go on and raise your family. We can't go backwards. No, we can't. And, you know, I remember, Joan, sadly, when the uh, Convention on Rights of Persons with Disabilities did not go through when so many people thought it was going to. And I remember Senator Tom Harkin saying, you know, Joyce, I'm not getting enough calls. We're not getting enough calls. But the opposition is. And I want to repeat again, don't think your one call won't matter. It does. That one call matters. That one email matters. And you've got to start speaking up about all of these. For example, Medicaid. If Medicaid is gone, this is going to be horrific for people with disabilities. But you can't sit back and say, wow, that would be terrible. I can't believe it. Do something about it. Don't sit back. Do something about it. That's the key. You have to do something. We can't just sit back and cower. We no. have to take action. That's and we, we can't rely. And we can't rely on somebody else to do what we need to do for ourselves. Right. That's right, Joan. So, Joan, you know, I don't know if I've asked you this before, but you are. You have such drive and persistence. And you're so bright, and you're always wanting to learn more. So here's my question. 
Who okay. was your role model or who is your role model? My role model was my dad. My dad, my, my dad was just an incredible human being. First and foremost, I get my sense of humor from him. And I think having a sense of humor is probably one of the most necessary skills to get through life. The other is I get my, my drive from him. My father always told me, do what you love and love what you do. Now, what's interesting is my dad was studying at what was then Carnegie Tech to be um, an architect and a draftsman, and World War II broke out, and he wound up, well, be, just as the war was breaking out, he wound up having to get a job as a, as a, on a road crew doing survey work to help support his family, and he was transferred to Arkansas. Now, you have to understand something. My father, as, as am I, my father Jew, was Jewish, and he had red hair. So here, here goes this Jewish guy with a not-Jewish-sounding last name of Weiss down to Arkansas, and nobody believed that he was Jewish. And so he enlisted in the Navy, in the Seabees, the construction battalion, and he was shipped over to the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific. And he built, the, what the Seabees did was they built hospitals and landing strips for, for, for the war effort. So, you know, he, he wound up giving up his dream of being, you know, an architect and came home from the war, met my mother, got married, they had a family, and my father wound up um, being a, an entrepreneur. He, he was a traveling salesman. He never had a, a nine-to-five job. He never went to an office and sat at a desk. He got in his car. He packed his samples up on Monday morning into his car, got on the road, and was gone from Monday morning till Friday night and drove and created a whole new territory for himself in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania and sold a men's gift line, and he would come home Friday night. So my father, and, and, and to, par- to, to parlay that, I spend my time in my car. I have a, my car is 19 months old and it has 42,000 miles on it because I travel all over Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Maryland, Virginia to, to visit my client sites to do evaluation. So I have become my father because I love what I do and I do what I love. And I love meeting people. My dad, I, you know, I grew up thinking that I had the largest family in the world because I had so many aunts and uncles and cousins. So I learned that they weren't my blood relatives. They were people that, for the most part, were my father's customers who he became very, very close friends with. And they became my aunts and uncles. So uh, in the same vein, Joyce, that you and I call each other sister, I wonder, I grew grew up watching my father treat people with respect and value their their worth and would come home and be tired but want to spend time with his family and just get back on the road again and make a living. So and he always always wanted to learn. I mean, my father passed away at 93 and a half. And he's gone, he'll be gone 10 years next month, and I miss him every day. But he never, he never stopped wanting to learn. He, he read the paper every day, he read books, he read the Bible, 
He he just always and and to him his greatest accomplishment was his children. Wow. What? Well, he definitely had yeah. the impact on you, Joan. Yes. He How did. about yes, you, Joan? Did. What do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, I, I think that, that probably the last three years have been um, a turning point for me. As you know, because you knew my husband, Mark, he passed away three years ago, three years ago in January, and it was devastating to me. We'd been married for 28 years. And I had also closed my company, Accessibility Development Associates, when he got sick, when he had his stroke. So to turn around and start a new company and get out on the road and, and start working again, I think um, I ha- people tell me that they're, that they're very impressed with my strength and resilience. Um, I've always, and that was the other thing. My father always taught me. My mother too. You know, you have to you have to rely on yourself, and don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. And so, I, I think that probably the last three years, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that um, I'm here. Uh, I've been I've actually been doing some some work on my house and and spending time with my friends and my family. And working hard and enjoying enjoying what I do. So, and I agree I, with you because I think you did a tremendous accomplishment, Joan. So, Joan, first of all, thank you for being our guest today. Well, thank you. What message would you like to leave with our listeners? Don't give up. Call, call, write, write. Social media. We can't be silent. How true that is. Well, Joan, once again, thank you. Uh, if someone wants to reach you, Joan, how do they do that? They can reach me at my phone number is 412-736-7161. And my email is jwstein0731 at gmail.com. And my website is under development. Okay, well, there you go. Um, And I hope you will contact Joan. We end every show with a quote, and this just has to be the quote today, and it is, Let the shameful wall of exclusion finally come tumbling down, said President George H.W. Bush. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters, at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.